We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com What up? Before we get to the show, we got a two-parter this morning on the Pat Mayo Experience. Game-by-game recaps featuring just me, because we had to cancel the Sunday night show because my studio was still without power because of the hurricane that came through, but we'll... Hope to get everything back by Tuesday, recording all of these solos from home. So we got football to kick things off. Then the Sanderson Farms golf research and picks breakdown. Obviously, there's more of that coming today. If you're looking for full fantasy football waiver wire stuff, injuries, head on over to the fantasy football picks and bets feed where I'll have the Monday night preview, injuries for the week, running through the props, everything like that. But that's on its own alternate feed. Uh, reminder to download all the episodes, even if you don't listen uh, at the same time. That really does help me out a ton. If you want golf, skip the football. You want football skip the golf it's easy stuff hit the time codes to figure it all out all right let's get to it welcome to the pat mayo experience presented by drafting week three recap yeah, we missed the Sunday Night Live show on week three. It's a bummer. If people don't know that uh, Hurricane Fiona smacked us up here where I live, and I got power back at my house. Everyone's fine. Don't worry about that. There's, like, a few trees down across the city. Problem is, like, the power went out everywhere, and 
our local power supply uh, not super efficient. At, I mean, the power itself is not super efficient, but getting it fixed, uh, not in a very timely matter. They do that thing where they tell you, like, the estimated time of everything coming back. You go check online. I looked at the studio, because the studio was still without power at the moment. Uh, that's why we had to cancel the Sunday night show, because we can't run that operation off a generator. Too much power. Too much going on inside that studio. There's, like, 30 lights uh, beyond all of the computer equipment, the internet, the cameras, everything like that. So... We couldn't run it out of this room because this room is physically too small to fit me and Cust in it at the same time. We thought about doing it audio only, but we said, you know what? We That, that show is supposed to have a vibe that once we finish watching the games or the games are just wrapping up, what is the reaction that's going on? And I just, we were not going to be able to fake that. And I don't want to release a show where we're trying to fake anything. So I decided to do a solo show here. So smash the like to the episode, uh, sub to Mayo Media Network. Hopefully you can get along with this one. Hopefully we have power back by Tuesday. I think we can get away with doing the spread pick show from here if need be. Might be a little bit wonky in terms of the graphics and everything like that. But uh, everyone's audio should be leveled, at least, because we'll record all three tracks separately, unlike that we do in the Giant Studio. A little behind-the-scenes play from Mayo Media Network here. I'll have my Monday Night Preview, Prize Picks, Waiver Wire, and Injury Report. That's all in the newsletter, the injury stuff. But that show is going to be out later today on Mayo Media Network. And we will have, let's see, oh, it's up on the Fantasy Football Picks and Feet. Picks and Bets feed. So if you're an audio listener and you want more mayo and tambo in your life, we do that three times a week. It's a short show to get you ready for props, island games, everything like that. If you haven't done it, go check it out. Uh, leave a rating and review while you're over there as well. Let's jump into the games, though, because I thought I was, I was able to watch all the football. It's just weird to be able to consume all this football and not actually be able to talk about it, because I've been doing that you know, every Sunday for, fuck, what is it now? 13 years, something crazy like that. You're starting to see the age marks on the face, how long I've been grinding Sundays for this. So let's jump into it. Let's go to the Sunday night game to begin with. Uh, the Broncos win. <laughs> good good looking teams there. Both defenses actually looked really good. Uh, I mean, I don't know if Russ is cooking. Someone actually pointed out that if by letting Russ cook, it was actually like when Tim tried to cook steak by spraying Pam on it. That's kind of what it's looking like in Denver right now. I don't know if I want to give up on the Broncos because the defense does appear to be coming around a little bit. And a lot of that had to do like San Francisco was doing all right offensively until Trent Williams went out and then Trent Williams went out. Maybe he's like secretly the best player in football. Who knew how much of a linchpin he was to that team? I figure with Kittle coming back that they would have like a sell, like just having like the underrated part about it's not underrated. People who know, know, but most people think, oh, here's George Kittle, great fantasy guy now. Nah, like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a thing. It's just like TJ Hawkinson on the Detroit Lions where they're so good at the line of scrimmage blocking. It's like the old school Gronk thing. It's like, there's a reason that these guys are basically surefire Hall of Famers. It's not just what they do in terms of the receiving game. I mean, probably not Hawkinson, but Kittle for sure, I think, in this circumstance now. But just like the way that he allows you to win at the line of scrimmage, and that was working, and then Williams goes out, and they were no longer winning on the left side anymore, so that was a real problem. I don't know what to make of these teams. Uh, there are probably no bets going forward unless the – unless – Put it this way, I, I I went to sleep early last night, just a weekend of having no power, trying to fire up generators, wrangle the kids. I watched this in the 15-minute the condensed game when I was on the Stairmaster this morning. Got up early, hit the gym. They had power, so that was fantastic news. And it's like I, 15 minutes of my life, I'm never going to get back. Like, that was horrible. Uh, I, I pity, pity the fools who stayed up to watch that. I mean, if, if I was still up, I probably would have switched out to Dragon House at some point. Instead, my wife and I saved that for Mondays. Uh, while I do my rankings and have the football game on a split 
screen as we're watching Dragon House. Hopefully it gets better. Who knows? Uh, Bucks and Packers, both these teams are probably going to go to the NFC Championship game. It's just funny to see them. I mean, I severely underrated how much like the heat in Florida was going to impact teams. And maybe it wasn't this game. Maybe it was just a complete lack of skill position players. Uh, Bakhtiari ends up coming back. That's great news. You got to see the protection was a little bit better for the Packers than it had been in previous weeks. But Rodgers, I mean, this is the new reality of what he's dealing with. Romeo Dubs looks like a real guy in terms of how Rodgers can utilize him. They get Christian Watson hopefully back next week. Obviously, Sammy Watkins is out for a while. Uh, but the defense looked good for the first time all year. Now, is that a product of them actually being good? Or is that a product of Tampa Bay's three top receivers are out? Their next two are banged up. They side Cole Beasley off the street. And the offensive line is completely banged up. And Brady looks like out of whack a little bit. I have no worries about the Bucs. If I was the Bucs looking at that division and knowing that you're probably going to win it anyway because apparently the Saints are god-awful as well, that just start whoever at quarterback for like the next month. Get every, Just play like your practice squad team. Take three losses if you have to. Get to October and then like start ramping everyone back up because no one on this team looks healthy at the moment. The more you play through injury, the more banged up that you're going to be. There's no need to rush any of these guys. Like, Tampa, what does Tampa care if they get the one seed or not? They don't. They care about making the playoffs, and their easiest path to making the playoffs is going to be through winning that awful division. So, you know, you never want to let... I mean, Brady gets hurt, they're screwed anyway. But... I don't know. I It reminded me, I mean, I'm not going to be the only one who makes this comparison. It just reminded me of Brady's last year in New England. Like, it was a real throwback game for the Patriots fans who, uh, who, who just want to remember Brady how he was at the end of the New England run. He was thrown to absolute goobers. Russell Gage was the only guy who could get open, so they just pepper him with targets. But he puts one on the ground. Perriman puts one on the ground. Like, Tampa Bay really should have won that game. There was a point. It was really strange. I think Brady was 8-for-8 eight eight to start the game for, like, 50 yards passing. They had one first down. It's kind of nuts. Uh, in terms of, like... Fournette. Fournette's going to be fine once, and they're, they're finding him ways to get fantasy points. Most of it was towards the end in terms of the receptions. But he's going to be fine as the season goes along. Once that offensive line gets healthier, they're going to be a lot better. But these two teams, although they played like crap the entire time, it was nice to see the defenses be locked in. This is what I expected from both these teams coming into the year. And listen, Rodgers and Brady, they're old men now. Old men. It's like starting an old car. You need to give it a few revs before you kick it going for the entire year so by November they're going to be absolutely fine when defense starts to make a little bit more sense and teams are putting up 50 points every single time Bills lose I lose in Survivor I am out thank god I won in week one in Survivor because I'm at a round two of Survivor right now it's funny because the game didn't feel like I lost money on the Bills and I bet them on that alt spread um, which I, I would go back and do again even after watching the game because they were driving down when the, before they missed the field goal in the second half and I was like, okay, they'll score a touch before they miss the field goal. I was like, okay, they're going to score a touchdown here because the Dolphins absolutely cannot stop them. So it's going to be a 10-point game. This is going to be great. Two is going to have to force everything coming in. They're going to get some pressure. And then, boom, pick six. I'm going to get my alt minus 16 and a half cover. Now, from that point of the game, maybe I shouldn't have thought it. Maybe I, I pulled a cust and absolutely flipped it the wrong way. But everything looked out of whack after that. But the Bills, like you read... When we talked about it on the spread show, I said, like, it's either a Bills blowout or the Dolphins probably win a close game. And that's what ended up happening because Dolphins just love greasy games. <laughs> this is how they do it. The way that they defended Josh Allen was great. And I know that the Dolphins only ran 39 plays in this game. <laughs> the Bills ran 90 plays. Like, the Dolphins couldn't stop them. But they did a great job of limiting the damage. Nothing behind them. They were blitzing from everywhere. And 
that's how you're going to have to play Josh Allen. If you don't have like Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the ball, someone who can go toe for toe and scoring points offensively, how can you create an imbalance anywhere? And it's just getting in his face and it's almost like what I thought would happen with Tua, and it kind of did. He, hit, he finally hit the deep one to waddle down the field. But I wasn't too concerned about the Bills' secondary problems because I didn't think that Tua would have enough time to throw the ball. And he really didn't. Like, he had to get it out so quickly every single time. And when you're throwing guys in your face and he doesn't have the mobility of a Josh Allen, it's just going to lead to not a whole lot of offense. They got the turnover, almost like in the Colts game. Like They got the turnover inside the five. They're able to punch that in. They really capitalized on everything that came their way, and they're a very opportunistic team. They're 11-1 and in their past 12 games. Like I'm not saying the Dolphins are bad. They've been a team I was riding until this week. But like you run that game 10 times. The Bills win by over 20, it feels like, in seven of them until everyone just started cramping and going out of the game. But even on the other side, like Xavier Howard was going in and out, Diggs, Gabe Davis, they were all going in and out. When the Bills started dropping O-linemen, that wasn't great. And we were watching the game in real time when the Bills should have won when Josh Allen pulled a Matt Ryan on the fourth down when he threw the most most timely bounce pass in the biz. It looked like the ball slipped out of his hands. And someone actually threw this up on Twitter. They showed, because last week it was like, hey, here's the mirror version of Tua. Here's what it looks like if he throws right-handed. You just flip the screen around. It's like, oh, wow, Tua looks amazing. There is a bias towards left-handed quarterbacks. They flipped around Josh Allen and throw some of his throws during that game, and it's like, this guy is garbage. Like, he doesn't know how to throw a football. It's just so funny seeing it from that different perspective of how it's going to go. The Dolphins are for real because they're well-coached. They really are. They do... They're limiting their mistakes, and they seem to know what offense they have, and they tailor their offense to every single opponent and their defense. I know that every team tailors their offense and defense to specific opponents, but they generally have a shell of what they like to do. But the way that Miami defended this week was completely different than they tried to defend last week against the Ravens. Uh, It was a similar concept, but they were able to break through. They were sending corner blitzes. It was just like, Josh Allen, you now have three seconds or less to throw the ball Every single time, you will not be able to go over the top of us. Let's see if you can keep this up. And Allen looks like he might have got banged up in the game. Obviously, Tua got banged up at half and then came back. That wasn't looking good. Cuss was in his glory with Teddy Bridgewater starting because he was going to give Teddy Bridgewater all the credit, but Teddy Bridgewater did not look good in that spot. So it was a very interesting game. I mean, no one's, I didn't expect anyone to go 17-0. I'm, I'm not worried about the Bills. I think there are teams that will be able to take advantage of their beat-up secondary a little bit more than Miami was able to do because even their block, it's not like two was dropped a bunch, but they had guys in his face the entire time. And where he is a bit shorter, just throw your hands up. It's tough to get those little dink and dunks over the middle to get Hill in space, to get Waddle in space. So that's going to be interesting. I still think the Bills win the AFC East, but you know I'm wrong all the time, as people saw. It's like with the bets. It's funny. I think I went 1-1-1 one, one, and one with the bets this week because Houston ended up pushing fucking Houston. But looking back at the spread show, I think I had a horrible spread picks week. But I'm not Cam. I don't bet every game. So, like, even when I have a bad week, as long as I hit the bets that I'm the most in on, now the Bills ended up losing. But the Falcons was my biggest bet. They ended up coming through. That's great. I ended up pushing with Houston. We move on to next week and then got that awesome Guido hit in the morning. Shooting minus nine over in France to hit a 50 to one. That's always glorious stuff uh, when you can wake up and be like, oh, my guy's actually doing the opposite of what happens on the on the European tour every year. Like, Hogarth had like a seven-stroke lead at one point. Anyway, more on that in the golf show. I'm talking Sanderson Farms this week, and Sky and Tom are talking Alfred Dunhill, which is by far the better tournament. That's where all the good guys are playing this week in the three-course rotation at St. Andrews, Carnoustie, and... 
somewhere else. There's a third one in there as well. For the life of me, I can't remember what it is right now. It's early in the morning. I've been trying to like scroll things on my phone all weekend. Hasn't been great. So Bills, I'm fine with them. Uh, Falcons and Seahawks. Here's one that came through. The Falcons offense looks so good. And for daily fantasy purposes, it's so concentrated. It's great. It's like those old school Oakland offenses with Carr, Amari Cooper, and Michael Crabtree, where you know the ball is going one of three places in, I guess, one of four places if you can include Mariota running the ball. But Mariota only throws to Pitts and, and Drake London. Then you get some Zacchaeus in there, but we're not, we're not too worried about those. Kaderil Hodge last week. But those two guys get going. Mariota's going to run, and they hand the ball off to CPAT. That's their offense, and it is extremely efficient. It's actually really good. And if they don't make any bonehead mistakes, like Mariota, you know, with the fumbled snap when they had the chance to put the game out, uh, they had the turnover earlier in the first quarter as well. Just like Seattle shouldn't have been in that game. It shouldn't have even been close. And their defense is horrible, horrible. But it, so was Atlanta's, and that that's going to be the real problem. But I, they're going to score points on teams that you think have good defenses too. So uh, keep that in mind with the Falcons going forward. They're now 3-0 and against the spread. They've been a cash cow for me. My to make the playoffs bet is not looking good on them, but they are a lot better, especially on the offense side, offensive side of the ball. And I think that anyone else really would have thought Mariota extremely competent uh, and just look for overs in Falcons games moving forward, because I think they're going to score like 20 to 30 points every single week. And they're always going to be downtrodden uh, by the market because people just assume that they're bad because their defense is bad. It is bad. Although they had two great, I mean, that sack on Gino when they were pressing on third down basically won them the game. It was kind of crazy. So, you know, they can get, they're generating far more pressure than the team that generated no pressure last year. Houston and the Bears. My, my Bears under five and a half bet is starting to sweat at the moment. This is one that I needed severely. Funny, when Davis Mills was pressing at the end of the game, and I, I forget, it was, it was third and something in there, like on their own 20, whatever it was. I was like, okay, maybe we can get into field goal range. But I was like, I looked at the score. I looked at Cuss. It was 2020. I was like, what are the chances this game just ends in a tie 2020 with like no one being able to do anything? Fields is horrible. Like, it is truly bad. And I don't know if it's a scheming thing. I don't know if it's a blocking thing. A no weapons thing. Could be anything. But I just am not seeing it. He's throwing butter ducks out there. Like those picks are just floaters floating it was almost like the Derek Carr to Matt Collins touchdown in the Tennessee game it was just like I'm just gonna basically be Chad Pennington on this one I'm just gonna throw it real high you just stand there for a bit and time it when it comes down catch it don't worry about it it's gonna be a touchdown Fields tries to do that but they're just wobblers to the other team I mean Davis Mills is no great shakes either Pierce looked good Herbert looked awesome in replace of David Montgomery I don't know how long Montgomery's gonna be out but fantasy wise obviously he's gonna be like the pickup that you want this week uh, as long as he's out an extended period of time because Delvin Cook sounds like he's gonna play even with the separate he's separates his shoulder so much that it's like oh yeah just pop it back in uh we're not gonna worry about it but one bad hit could take him out we've seen that with dalvin cook in the past but everyone owns madison so it's not a big deal stupid bears hate the bears hate that they're making me look foolish but you know that happens from time to time what else do we got rams and cardinals cardinals are <laughs> i just I feel like I need to bet on the Cardinals this week because everyone's just like, oh my God, like they shouldn't have beat the Raiders. They got blown out week one by the Chiefs. They played the Rams. But if you went into the year and said those were the three teams that they played, you'd be like, oh, those are three really good teams. I could see how they could be 0-3. Well, they're not even 0-3. They're 1-2. They make boneheaded decisions. Like they love kicking field goals from the one-yard line. That That's a big Cliff Kingsbury special. 
Good for you, Cliff. Would you get some more fucking hair gel? Maybe uh, maybe take some out. Take some of the gel out. Maybe it's inter, inter something with your brain. I don't know how this stuff is kind of mixing. Does he take like preventative Rogaine to make sure he's injecting it into his brain, causing him to make horrible decisions? I don't get what's going on there. But like Hollywood Brown, you bring him in to be a burner. And then all of a sudden, it's 14 catches for 140 yards. Like, what the, what the hell is that? Like, no, we, we want, like, three catches for 200 yards. You get behind the defense and score touchdowns, pal. We don't need you to be possession. They just have a team of possession receivers at this point. Then Zach Ertz can't catch, apparently. I don't know what's going on with the team. They seem like they're bad, but Kyler has enough juice. And every third week, every second week, he's just going to do something incredible, and he's going to will teams back. I forget who they're playing this week. Cover that on the spread show. This is a recap show. Jags and Chargers. Herbert's not right at all. Although he still can fucking sling it. It's incredible. Uh, Lawrence looks awesome. The Jags looks awesome. I think there's seven point dogs in Philly this week. That just feels like everyone's. I don't know. I don't know what the sentiment between Philly and Jacksonville is. Like everyone believes in Philly. Do people believe in Jacksonville? Uh, I'm hoping that Jacksonville keeps this up. Cashes that nine to one AFC South ticket for us, but. They look great. They look efficient. Like Lawrence looks like a guy who should have been picked first overall. He's not making any mistakes anymore. And it's if anyone ever wants to talk about how coaches matter, coaches don't matter. I mean, at the highest end, I think that a bad coach matters than having a really great coach in the NFL. But if you have a bad, like really bad coach, it can just be a disaster for your team. I think that's what we saw in Jacksonville last year, because Lawrence looks like the guy that everyone thought he was going to be when he was drafted. And not anything like the guy we saw last year. His efficiency is off the charts. His precision is off the charts. And to juxtapose him with Mac Jones, who we saw, Mac Jones had the most anti-Mac Jones game ever. And now he has a high ankle sprain, so he might be like out a month or something like that. But Mac Jones, you think, oh, he's basically Chad Pennington 2.0 with a little bit of a better arm, a little bit more mobility. We saw the mobility. Well, he kept trying to run. I thought he was going to get well, eventually caught up to him, I suppose. But he ended up rushing in the touchdown. He was picking up first downs with his legs. They ran some of the worst worst fourth down plays I've ever seen in my life. It's one thing to like not have a ton of short yardage plays from midfield, but the let's not throw it to the sticks on fourth and two and just like, hey, hopefully our guy can make the other guy miss this is not a great play. Not a real high percentage fourth down play. The Lions did it the other way until the end when they started doing that shit too. On fourth and three, fourth and four, they kept going for it and they kept getting it. And every time that they got it, it was like a three-step or five-step drop and just lasers from Goff over the middle of the field, 15 yards downfield. The fact that more teams don't take advantage of the entire field on fourth down because they only need one yard is ludicrous. The fact that you can actually spread the field out, screw this jumbo formation, spread everyone out, give your quarterback an option for the shotgun draw, if that's going to end up being the case. It's not a real high percentage one, but if it's there, you can take it. But once you start dealing with the entire field, it's a lot easier to get three yards that way than it is putting 10 guys or nine guys on the line and trying to jam it into nine other guys like and even when it comes down to measuring the sticks if the refs don't give you the benefit of the spot there's no way to overturn it even if you got it because there's no cameras in there you can't see anything so no one's ever really factoring these things into it when you're looking at fourth down totally forgot what i was talking about at this point patriots lions jags jags are good yeah they're just really good so i'm don't necessarily know about their defense. Their defenses looked really good, obviously. But they played a banged-up Herbert, and they played Matt Ryan, who's absolute garbage, and they played Carson Wentz. So they gave a bunch of points to. That's going to happen from time to time. But I don't know. I, I don't. If their defense is, like, average, 
their offense is good. They can run the ball. They're very good at these intermediate routes. and They don't even need to really take shots. They just kind of progressively move the ball down the field. Uh, that's a very easy way to sustain a lot of offense, to extend drives and protect your defense, even if it's not great. So if the Jags potentially have like a top 12 offense, especially a passing offense, and how is James Robinson's Achilles so fine and Cam Akers, although Cam Akers is starting to get it back a little bit now, finally out touching Daryl Henderson, scoring the touchdown. But like, how is he fine on shorter rest than Cam Akers has? But I... I Guess, I guess it's Achilles don't recover the same way in everyone. I mean, that would make a lot of sense, but just crazy to see how much more spry he is. And they're able to use ETN as that sort of, as to, to quote Cust about Ty Montgomery, the queen on the chessboard. He was taking direct snaps. Uh, and just his speed is off the charts good. So Panthers and Saints, uh, every week we always talk about the laptop game that we have our eight TVs and one of them is dedicated to red zone on the bottom left. And this week we had two extra games. We had a laptop game and then a game where we were just like, you know, we don't really need to watch this one. This is another one that I condensed watch. Teams are horrible. Uh, Olave got there. Olave's good, but Jarvis and Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas both left that game. I don't know. Jameis doesn't throw to Kamara. I don't know what to make of the Panthers. Like, Baker's not good. Like, he throws a touchdown to Chenault. It was like a backwards pass. <laughs> Chenault made a guy miss and took off down the field. So I don't really know what's going on. Like, DJ Moore is borderline unplayable in fantasy. They don't throw to McCaffrey anymore. It's just McCaffrey here. You have 25 carries for 110 yards. Go for it. Have fun with it. I just, I don't know what's going on here. Carolina is such an interesting team because you can make the case, hey, their defense actually looks pretty good despite the terrible offense. But if we think that the Saints offense is bad, like what are we doing now? They haven't played a real offense. They played Brissett, Daniel Jones, and Jameis Winston. Eventually you have to give them credit because they're out there and the defense is playing well, but I don't know what's going on with them. Jets and Bengals. The Jets had just not kicked field goals and tried to score a touchdown. They maybe could have won this game. Maybe the Bengals just, like, took everything off the gas. They didn't care anymore. But they didn't look great for a team that won by as much as they did. And the Jets were, like, committed to kicking as many, I, I guess, the over on Legatron field goals was something Robert Sala bet on. So I, I guess they got to kick as many as possible. When you're a garbage team, you might just want to say, you know what? Screw field goals. What are we going to lose? 30 to 3? Why don't we just continue to try to score as many touchdowns as possible? You go draft Garrett Wilson got hurt. He ended up coming back. They don't use Elijah Moore at all. They did the opposite of what happened with Michael Carter and Brees Hall through the first two games where Carter was going to be the receiving back. That looked pretty much in stone. He had the 10 targets last week. This week it was flipped. Mainly because Brees Hall was in during the two-minute drill. I think he had like four catches in a row at some point. Ty Conklin's a real problem for people, too. That's who Flacco likes to throw to. Zach Wilson is expected back this week, and since he has this quick turnaround, Thursday night against the Dolphins. See how that goes. I actually like the Dolphins in that game. If they can just, if they can put the, as much pressure on Burrow, which they should be able to, as they just did to Josh Allen, it's going to be trouble for Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati offense, unless he's learned how to, I don't know, throw the ball quicker and not just stand there like an absolute sieve. But the Jets, yeah, Zach Wilson, we'll see how they look with Zach Wilson. Will they be more efficient? Will they be better? Will they be much worse? Because Flacco hasn't been terrible. He hasn't been good by any means. But I don't know. I don't know what to make of the Jets right now. I thought their defense would actually be better, and it's just, it's not. Eagles and Commanders, Hurts continues to absolutely light it up. They scored all of their points in the second quarter, and that was it. No more for them the rest of the game. The Wentz correlation theory could have worked if Washington could have had the ability to come back in that game. Wentz, you know, wasn't holding on to the ball, just dropping it for no reason. 
getting sacked nine times, just play defenses against Wentz. Then if you play Wentz against them in that second half, all he has to do is go YOLO ball. It just didn't come through this week. But their offensive line is horrible. Wentz is horrible. But he's someone who can throw the ball like 50 yards downfield and doesn't care if it gets picked off. Usually, It's like old school Jameis, where Jameis doesn't do that anymore. He, he did it at like the very end of the game when they were out of time. And we saw it last week against the Bucks in that same situation. But Wentz is just doing this all game. This is like his only move, and that's what he's going for. Eagles, real deal. Co-favorites in the NFC right now. Want to see them get punched in the teeth a little bit and how they rebound. It's almost, it's funny, with the Bills, it's almost good that the Bills, it's not never good that you lose. But they lost a game that they probably should have won. And then getting this loss out of the way early with the way that they were people were talking about the bills now they were the clear favorite to win i still think they're the favorite to win the super bowl we'll see how their defense can evolve with all of these injuries like they were starting like back undrafted free agents after like their second tier corners started going down in that game against miami but eventually that will get rectified tredavious white's going to come back i don't really worry at oliver will end up coming back pretty soon as well so i'm not really worried about their defense it's probably not going to be a lights out unit like we've seen but it's probably good that they get the loss out of the way now that doesn't hang over you anymore i want to see what happens with the eagles they can run this up to like seven and oh eight no because we always see sort of the front running rabbit team every single year and that team never usually ends up being there at the end of the season like once they hit the skids they've been riding high for so long you don't get that experience from coming behind and facing that adversity and it comes too late in the season before you can get those reps and really be comfortable in that situation so i'm curious to see how that goes ravens and patriots patriots probably should have won this game Raven, I mean, Lamar continues to play spectacularly. The Ravens' defense sucks. And everyone, I mean, it's not their fault. Everyone's hurt. But when, like, Devontae Parker's lighting you up, that is a bad sign. And it's Ravens and Bills this week. I think, I, I don't know how people are going to judge this game. And the Ravens' offense can most definitely put up 40 points on the Bills. That's how the Ravens win this game. It's not going to be a, a 17-14 affair. Uh, I'm assuming it's going to open at 53 and a half. I, I, I could go look but I'm doing this in real time. want to get this done. Get this out to the peoples. And this is where we're at right now. So I'm looking at it. Ravens, like Ravens offense, completely fine. Their defense, uh, something to be, there's a lot out there for the Ravens defense. They can get healthy. Maybe they can be fine. If they can develop a pass rush, maybe they could be fine. Just not seeing that right now. And when Mac Jones and two are lighting you up and you got Josh Allen coming to town, it could be severe, severe problems that defense so it's you're gonna need another lamar 300 yards passing 100 yards rushing game fortunately he can do that he's done it each of the past two weeks mac jones might be out like he might go on ir maybe he plays this week but it seems like he has a high ankle sprain so now we're getting hoyer as the patriots quarterback that's not good myers missed this game that seemed to really hurt them at the beginning i thought they would use kendrick Bourne a lot more in that role but it just never really came to fruition lions went full lions i knew i knew the lions were in trouble when cuss looked at me when it was 14 nothing i was sitting next to him he's like I told you the lions were gonna win i was like oh here we go and the vikings like the lions the lions are getting there they really are so their offense, it looks fine. It hits the skids. DeAndre Swift was in and out of that game. He was limping all around. He's clearly not 100%. Uh, and they kept going for it on fourth down, like I mentioned earlier, to juxtapose with the Patriots. And I'm like, even their two-point play was just god-awful. And Ramondre almost got himself out of it by lateraling it back to Mac Jones. Unfortunately, he was down. But, like, their ideas in these short yardage, fourth down, two-point conversion situations are mind-boggling where i like what the lions do i mean the lions went for it it's funny they went for it the entire game and they settled for that stupid field goal at the end which was very clearly not going to go in and just gave minnesota the best field position possible it was a really stupid decision i would at least prefer like if you go for it, like what is that put you up six great 
fantastic news. That, that's great for you, Detroit. You get to be up six. Can your defense stop anyone? Well, it wasn't looking so good in the second half of that game. At least if you go for it on fourth down. Yes, I realize you'd be in the same place if you don't convert, then whether you hit the field goal or not. But at least if you get the first down, you can basically ice the game and it's over. With a field goal, the game's not over. And then you still have to kick off anyway. And so worst case, they're probably at the 25. And then they have to get, you know, go from there with no timeouts and try to score a touchdown. Like, it's plausible when you have the horses that they have on the Vikings and the way that the defense had been playing. I thought the better move, like they kept going for it on fourth down, seemed like a really silly decision. If you were committed to doing that all game long, why don't you continue to do that? Because uh, they didn't get the last one. Or they didn't get the last two. They got they went three for three to start the game on fourth down. I think they missed the last two, and then they got cold feet. Don't play your game. Don't worry about the results. Play your game. You're not going to get every fourth down. It's just not going to happen. But if you get three of five, then you should almost go for it every single time in these situations. I mean, you should probably go for it every single time, midfield and beyond. But if you're going to convert it at that high of a rate, like, that's not a bad thing. That'd be like a ba- someone in baseball being like, well, you went two for five today. You had a terrible game. You're only hitting 400. It's like... What are we talking about here? These are like fractional situations that if you can be around 60, 55, 65% on fourth downs, you are crushing the game. No need to have a kicker on your team at that point. Craziness. Chiefs and Colts, to all the people who came at all of us, I think all of us picked the Colts this week. The Colts should have lost by 5 million points, but it was just, it was the trap line of the week. The Bills also a trap line, but I think more people were actually like on Miami to beat the Bills and keep that game close. Uh, but this one was, I mean, Chiefs can't run the ball. That's a problem. Didn't realize the Colts' run defense was so good, because it's not. And Mahomes just had it like Kelsey dropped two touchdowns. It was just a really weird game. And you don't want to say anything is rigged, because it's not rigged. But this game, if you're ever going to rig a football game, this is what it would look like, I'm pretty sure, that... You have muff punts, and then all of a sudden, the Patrick Mahomes looks completely discombobulated despite facing no pressure the entire game. Matt Ryan looks god-awful through 3.9 quarters, and then on the final drive, he's, like, actually hitting people. It's like, okay, this is shocking. Did not expect Matt Ryan to do this. When, when's the, when comes the part of the game where he just drops the ball for no reason? That only happened once, so that was pretty good. Don't do that four times in a game, and all of a sudden, the Colts can be okay. The Colts look like they stink. Like, the fact they can't get Jonathan Taylor going whatsoever, and they, they actually had their receivers back this week. Pittman finally got there towards the end of the game in total receiving, but I don't know. So, something's up in Indianapolis is not good. They might be better off with Nick Foles playing quarterback, and I was waiting for that to happen throughout the course of the game. The Chiefs, I throw them in the same sort of camp as the Bucks and the Packers, just like they look like they're on, on cruise control right now. They're just trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work for them. And by, I mean, we say one of these teams isn't going to be fine by November, obviously. That just never works out that way. These teams that we perceive to be really good, they're going to end up being fine for the most part. The protection was still really good for Patrick Mahomes. You give him time, he's eventually going to figure all this out. Raiders and Titans, nice to see the Titans get Derrick Henry going, get Robert Woods going a little bit in this game. It's funny, the Raiders are 0-3. They can most definitely be 3-0 at this point. Just the, the Mac Hollins touchdown really made me chuckle. The Mac Hollins was the play on DraftKings. I faded him completely. I was like, I'm not playing chalky Mac Hollins at 3,300 bucks. That's crazy. And then that's how you lose money. But you don't win every week, so you have to make these sort of decisions from time to time. Uh, the Raiders, I don't know if they're going to be fine because they're 0-3. That's not good, obviously. But maybe they can squeeze out a win against the Chargers. We're going to have some fun on Monday show or Wednesday show with Jeff 
where I, I think Cuss asked me the question. I was like, you write that one down. You ask Jeff in real time. And Jeff doesn't watch this show, so there's no worries about him losing. Is that, was the upgrade of Staley from Anthony Lynn really an upgrade? Is Staley just a horrible coach? And then Jeff will go off the rails after he won so much money this weekend. Because he had, I think he had... He might have won like 10 grand on the President's Cup. Just he kept pounding those American lines like June, July, August. Like he got them all at like minus 330, minus 300. Ended up going off like minus 800. And it got dicey for like 30 seconds on Sunday. And that was the end of it for the President's Cup. But that's my recap. That's my game by game. I hope you enjoyed something like this. Uh, I'm Listen, this is going to be a regular thing every single week, but I wanted to get something out there, get my thoughts out about the game. You can come laugh at me for my terrible picks this week. But hey, you're going to have like, if you can really avoid like four really bad weeks, you're going to have like two or three really good weeks with picks and you're going to have two or three really bad weeks with picks. It's the NFL, super random a lot of the time. You just need to not get crushed too much throughout the year that it needs to even itself out. Like Rob was 3 and 0 again. Rob's like 8 and 1 to start the season on the best bet show. We swept super locks on the show, we swept gold picks, and usually when you hit your best bet best bet of the week, it saves a lot of what you're doing depending on how depending on how I bet. That's how I bet. Like I said with Cam, that's not how he bets probably like I used to sit next to him at fantasy and I, I think we've told the story on the golf show before but like you can start if you've never you're unfamiliar with the PGA leaderboard you can star people it pushes them to the top of the leaderboard if you want to track those guys in particular he had the entire leaderboard start so we just had two complete leaderboards I was like do you have bets on all these guys like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like outright bets top 20 bets missed the cut bets head to head bets he probably had like 78 bets on Thursday of a golf tournament. You, so you, we're not thinking, it's like same as when Morenci, uh, we used to work with him as well, who they still do the show together. And um, that that's, they just love firing bets. I mean, firing bets is fun. I find for the NFL, the more condensed that I make it, the better it ends up becoming. Numbers don't lie. In the last decade, over 4 million people have chosen Simply Safe home security to protect their home. And you don't earn that kind of trust with that many people without doing something right, right? At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. I know because I use Simply Safe in my own home, and they protect me with cutting-edge security technology powered by 24/7 professional monitoring agents who always have your back. And here's why I love it: because I get the prompts on my phone right away. I had an Amazon package delivered the other day, and I thought it was going to be like a break-in. I got a bit too close to the door for my comfort. Uh, and then just boom, I got the immediate prompt. I tuned in to my front door to see what was going on. I was like, oh, it's just the Amazon guy. No big deal. But the fact that the sensors work so well, I got the prompt immediately. Shows I can be on top of it no matter where I am. As long as I got my phone on me, I can check out what is going on in my house. And, you know, I got little kids. I got a wife. I got stuff to provide. I really don't have much stuff to protect outside of them in my house. Not a big spender. I'm not going to lie to you. But that safety makes me feel good. And importantly, it makes them feel good at the same time. They have 24-7 professional monitoring. They'll call you at the moment that there is a threat. Uh, if it is a you know a first responder situation or a real emergency, and simply safe blankets your home in protection. Advanced sensors, every room, window, door, HD security, better cameras than I got on the go. So you're going to want to get in on Simply Safe. And you can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash mayo. Save 20% on your Simply Safe security system when you sign up for an interactive monitoring plan and get your first month free. It's pretty good. First month free. Visit simplysafe.com slash mayo to learn more. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 2023, I guess we're calling it. Sanderson Farms Picks Preview. No DraftKings pricing as of yet. I'm changing up what I'm doing for golf season in terms of how to cover the swing in some of these events. Tambo and Kenny have the full DraftKings preview out on Monday nights. I don't want to step on their toes with that by doing the same show. And then obviously Tom and Sky have the European picks that are coming out. The European tournament is way better this week, by the way. It's the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championships. You got St. Andrews, a little bit of Carnoustie in the mix. One of the other courses, I already made a bet for that one. You have Thirsty Lawrence, 125 to 1. I grabbed it at 110 to 1 because I wanted eight places on the each way. I mean, sometimes you got to give up some of your outright odds. But coming off a heater on the weekend with Guido shooting minus nine in France, cashing some tickets, 50 to 1. That was great because I was getting shellacked at Le Pont de France uh, with my initial bets. And all of a sudden, there's Guido, starts making a charge, hop on the train, and boom dagger on the 72nd hole from like 200 away incredible stuff from guido he could not miss a putt the entire day but i got thirsty lawrence or tristan lawrence as maybe he's actually called but i don't care thirsty lawrence just picked up a win on the european tour but i highly recommend that you tune in to dp world tour picks and bets with tom and sky to figure everything out so what i'm going to do is make this more like the research show that I would do in the off-season on Sundays. We're going to walk through the tournament. The odds have just been released as I basically hit record and then boom, DK Sportsbook, good on you. You put the odds out for Sanderson Farms. So we're going to try to walk through some bets, see what we can find, and just try to research the course a little bit. It's not going to be a super long show. I want to get people ready for the week. I still want to talk about golf, everything like that. But before, just you know, a quick on the President's Cup. Kind of enjoyed it. Not going to lie to you. Obviously, my Cam ride Cam Davis is top everything international. Hit the skids on Sunday, but he played every single match like I thought that he was going to do. And realistically, it came down to a miss putt on 18 on Thursday. You know, he squeaks out that half point. He has the half point lead. And he was beating the crap out of Spieth until the eighth hole on Sunday. And then Spieth went full speed. He couldn't miss. It happens when you have money against Spieth. Spieth went 5-0. and oh. It was incredible stuff. Spieth played great the entire week. And he was back to being... It's funny, after... Even when he won at Heritage earlier this year, it was not off the strength of his putter. 
whatsoever. His irons were really good that week. And like the ball striking had come back for Spieth, but we saw vintage magic bean Spieth all throughout the President's Cup. Every time they knew it's like, oh, we need this 40-footer made, that's Spieth money. Water. Middle of the cup. Like and as soon as he hit it, it's like, oh God, he's staring that down. This is gonna happen again. Felt really bad for Pendrith, because the first two days Pendrith played better than anyone on the international side and walked away with zero points lost on 18 on thursday lost on 18 on friday he got poured with paired with that awful Corey. Corey connors was the worst guy out there for the entire tournament on either side like he was an abomination uh, and then i just stopped watching after the americans kind of locked it up tom kim was a ton of fun siwoo going after Siwoo going after Justin Thomas in the opening match. That was great. It rattled Justin Thomas. Love to see it. Uh, Although, listen, congrats to Feinberg, who was telling us in the middle of July, hammer the U.S. side before this gets outrageous. Then all the live guys leave, and then it goes off at minus 750. The entire week after Thursday, after they went 4-1 and on the Thursday rounds, I think they were like minus 2,500 at at the minimum at any point during the week. It looked like if they had a chance, like there was a, a moment on Sunday where it's like, well, if all of these matches flip, then the internationals could have a chance to like tie for the cup. But that lasted like 30 seconds. And then that was all over. It's nice to see Azinger on every putt for the internationals. Like, well, they make this putt. You know, you swing the momentum. You can swing this entire match. Well, eventually you got to make one of those putts, which they never did the entire week. So when you have a team of guys who can't putt whatsoever, Turns out it's a real problem in team match play formats. Good, I, it was just a lot of curious decisions on both sides. But there's something to, like, it's never going to have the mystique of the Ryder Cup. No one cares. Just DraftKings didn't fill its main tournament this week uh, because no one cared about the President's Cup. But it was fun to watch. And, you know, it's on earlier in the day, on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, giving me something to do, something to watch. I had no power the entire week, but I was able to, you know, have access to the interwebs. And I was able to stream and just got, got us through the day with no heat and no power up here, unfortunately. Everything is back to normal, except for PME Studios. My studio still has no power, so we're hoping that comes back at some point. Uh, if you're missing out on the Listener's League, uh, there's a football one every single week. Uh, it's not, I don't have the link to it yet, but you can find it in the football shows as of Tuesday. 3,500 spots, 15 It's the same as the golf one, no rake, but it's for football. So if you want to get in on that, highly recommend that you do so. But I want to talk some Sanderson Firms and try to see how we can maybe win some money this week. Looking at it right now, fantasynational.com, fantasynational.com slash mayo in order to get your 20% off any membership level at Fantasy National. Once again, Tambo and Kenny will have the DraftKings picks. I'll have my bets in the newsletter on Tuesday evening, and I'll have my article in Golf Digest that comes up. So I want to make this a little bit different. People seem to like the research shows. And listen, your casual golf fan isn't paying attention to any of these shows anyway. It's reflected in the numbers. I know that. So maybe kind of give the hardcores what they want. And this way we can differentiate on Mayo Media a little bit and kind of cover all aspects of what goes on. Uh, just sort by strokes gain total over the past 50. This is not a strong field whatsoever. It's probably best, actually probably best to look at the odds for the week. Let's do that to start. DraftKings Sportsbook, Sammy Burns is the betting favorite obviously he is last year's winner of this event 11 to 1 jt poston is 16 that's telling you how good this field is jt poston is 16 to 1 at DraftKings sportsbook denny wasn't able to hit his irons whatsoever or drive the ball in napa and did his usual denny thing to come in 25th of making every putt he has a good history here and we've when we get to the profiles of the winners it's kind of all over the place uh you have henley munoz Cibes. 
Keegan is 35 to 1. Scott Stallings is 30 to 1, coming off the great end of the year. Taylor Montgomery was 35 to 1. You have Dietrich, he's at 40. Seamus Power, he's back. Uh, CC at Jackson's a really weird course. I actually kind of like Davis Riley. I haven't made any bets as of yet for the Sanderson Farms. I mean, it's, it's not so bad in the middle tier like Putnam. Putnam may actually be a look because he can't miss on the greens, or at least he hadn't for like the past like three months. Kind of interesting to see. Woodland's playing in this field. You got Steele playing in the field. Straka, Hadwin, Mullenix, the Burmista Mista lady. He's 65 to 1. Benny Ann. Basically, what you like, Burns won losing strokes putting last year, and that's pretty not indicative of what's going on. We take a look at the tournament history and just try to figure it out. So we'll see last year's leaderboard. Burns, Watney gained like 48 strokes putting. That's how he got into the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's by coming second at this event. Andrew Landry, like, Andrew Landry. This is just showing the guys that are in the tournament this year, by the way, if you're wondering why certain guys are off the list. So you can kind of attack this any way that you want. I'm surprised to see Cam Champ isn't playing the 2021 winner. Uh, That surprised me a little bit. Munoz won in 2020, 2019. Who the hell won in 2019? Totally forget now. Probably like Mulnati or something stupid like that. Ryan Armour. So if you see Sam Burns, Cameron Champ, and Ryan Armour all winning the same tournament, then you have Munoz in the mix. It's going to come down to, well, we'll take a look at how these guys actually accomplished what they did. So take a look at the past four years. You'll see that Burns dominated Tina Green, lost two strokes putting. Didn't matter because he beat everyone by six strokes. Tina Green, that's pretty outrageous, to tell you the truth. Uh, that's going to be very hard to replicate in these circumstances. Uh, just you don't really see that at tournaments all that often. When you gain 14 strokes between driving and approach, you're probably going to win a tournament regardless of how you putt. That is an outlier ball striking performance, though, even from Sam Burns, despite being the best player in this field. There was a very interesting thing after the last President's Cup, mind you, that we had all of the winners like to start the new season. It was the Australia in in Australia. I think who came out. So whoever won the TOC uh, was at the President's Cup. Cam Smith ended up winning at Sony the next week. Leishman got a win at Torrey Pines. Like all guys who played in that event came out of the gates really hot. Now that was over the break. That makes sense that maybe they're not you know in the best situation where everyone, they got real competitive reps. No one else had competitive reps going into the year, but like it would be worth probably looking at Munoz Burns and Cibes. Uh, they're all playing this week in this tournament. Oh yeah. Sergio won. Sergio won last year. That's right. Totally forgot about that. Another great ball strider two years ago. Sorry. 2021. He's not, he's not here to play again, put it that way, but you can see Tita green, 12 strokes, Vijagas, Stuart Sink. Oh, MJ Duffy. MJ Duffy's in the field this week. He gained 7.8 strokes on approach that year, too. And they all bled strokes. Sergio was just above average. Hey, well, well above what Sergio normally does on the greens, by the way. Almost three strokes putting. So that's good news. Um, so ball striking, tee to green. We saw those two years when Munoz won. It was a bit of a different story. I mean, Munoz was fine. He was, what, 12th in tee to green for the week. He gained 6.2 strokes putting. Fertelli couldn't buy a putt. He came sixth. Tringali couldn't buy a putt. He came 16th. Then you had other guys who were just very balanced throughout the course of the week. Ended up coming there. Sung Jay came in second. Benny Ann came in third. Might be time to press the old Benny Ann. Maybe he's, I don't want to say he's figured out the putter, but he no longer seems like he's the worst putter on the PGA Tour now that he's back. We see him at the Fortnet, and he, listen, it's hard to string together too many good performances in a row. We saw when he won on 
Webb or Corn Ferry earlier this year, T21 at Louisiana the next week. Then it took him a while to get it back. Then he came in second. Then he went through a really bad stretch. All of a sudden, he's back with a top five finish despite losing strokes on approach. His around the green game was solid, but that's been pretty standard for him over the course of his career not lately on the pga tour but that's the reason that he lost his tour card to begin with historically he's been excellent around the greens it's a lot like luke list in a way if he can get his approaches back to where they need to be you can see like his overall tee to green has been tremendous throughout the course of his career except he loses two strokes per tournament on the greens if you can figure that out a little a little bit you can get some leeway. I don't know if he, his tee to green game is so good that it can overcome the bad putting this week, but it's interesting to look at in that circumstance. Cameron Champ won in 2019, by the way. 9.1 strokes putting for him that week. And that tops, you know, Anders Albertson, who is back in this tournament. I remember Fantasy National kept spitting out anyone who ran stats, really, just Albertson for like the next six months because he was so good at this one tournament in such a small sample that it worked out a little bit for him. So you can see, you know, Burns and Connors. Oh, wow, Connors actually gained strokes putting. Shocker. Scheffler played that year. So let's go back to, where is it, the tournament history here and just take a look at who's been the best at this tournament. Denny has had the most success, but if he's not hitting his irons well, like, it's going to be tough to win. There's only so many strokes you can gain on the field putting, and he normally does that week after week, and we're not seeing these high-end finishes. He had his great run. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, like, Hank Leviota from two years ago, where he went on this, like, insane run. Kadira did it as well, I think, last year, where the tee to green was capable it was good and then the putting came along with it and that was great but as you can see he's now dropped in five consecutive tournaments off the tee not as bad at the fortnet but he also wasn't playing against the best of the best like he did at bmw and then you see strokes gained approach has just been basically non-existent he hasn't gained more than 0.3 strokes gained on approach in any of his past five tournaments he chips he putts we know he does that can he round out the rest of his game to do anything that's not usually a shot that i want to take when what is he this week 18 to 1? Listen, I'd be really happy if Denny McCarthy could win a tournament. I like Denny, but there's a reason that I never bet on him. I feel like he's over in value just based on putting. And like that's that's a tough scene when it comes down to it. Uh let's take a look at how Dietrich did. Probably gonna end up going if Munoz is gonna be 20 to 1, like that's gonna be tough to tough to overlook here. Dietrich, a lot of driving, a lot of chipping. That was it for him. Had the bad Sunday at the Fortnite, but he's been kind of plodding around, obviously more of a European player, but he's going to be playing full time on the PGA tour this year. We haven't seen Keegan in ages, but Keegan's the type of player. Could he putt? We've seen him putt once at this tournament. Turned out really well. I mean, Sergio's won at this tournament in the past too. So like you don't need to be the world's greatest putter in order to really win this tournament. As long as your tee to green comes around and we saw it happen one year, then we didn't see it the next year. Overall, he's been kind of lackluster since the, what is it, the U.S. Open when he made the run. We had money on him. That was going to be really nice, but did not turn out that way. Take a look at the course in the past course conditions, and we'll take a look at the course breakdown. It's the past course conditions. You see Bermuda greens, soft. It's easy to hit the fairway sometimes. Sometimes it's difficult, kind of crazy. Really fast greens at this course if that's how you really want to separate everything. And the scoring is relatively easy all of the time. It's not super long, and you get the full complement of holes to really go crazy with. We sort by par. You see you have one, two, three, four. Four par fives, they all play to, I guess number five is like a bit more difficult. It's a three-shot hole. Only a 25% birdie rate on that. Everything else is over 34%. Eagle rate at number 11, over 2%, so the long hitters can do it. You also have the really short number 15. Um, you can drive it. 
You can also get yourself, you miss left into a lot of problems, as I've seen with my guys over the year. Uh, like the birdie rate isn't substantially high. Like it is, at most, it's 35%. It's the easiest par four by far on the course, but you do see like a 9% bogey rate, doubles or worse. Like you can get it going bad if you miss horribly off the tee. I think that's the reason that you see some of the bombers do really well with this course and you know, some of like the pure accuracy players. So strokes gained off the tee is really where I do want to be looking. You can see with the top 10 finishers, it's actually more than half of approach, which is not what you normally see at uh, courses like this. And even when you go to the top five, it actually becomes a bit more pronounced, like over, over a half stroke per round off the tee amongst the top five finishers, almost a stroke on approach, but then it becomes a putting fest. So you don't want guys who are an ab- abject failure on the greens unless they have that Sam Burns outlier in terms of what they're going to do with their T degree. And like that's betting on any sort of outlier is really tough. Like you want to put the people in the right positions that they could do that. But at the same time, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Let's see how T Gala did. Like he seems like someone who's on the precipice of a win. Obviously puts much better on POA. Bermuda is his worst surface. Putted well last week at the Fortinet. Played really well all around. Didn't have his best stuff, but got bailed out by having a really hot putter. He's had a really hot putter two of the past three turns, too. Didn't play well at the Tour Championship. First time in the Tour Championship. He was probably the worst guy who made it through. Actually, a hoagie made it through, so... It was nice to see him get there. It means he gets into the Masters next year. So I'm, I'm happy with the progress that he's making. We've seen a lot of spike finishes from him. So if he can bring the putter with him on these Bermuda greens, then maybe it's going to be fine. And it's not like, you know, we're middle of the season Bermuda. I don't exactly know how it plays down in Jackson, Mississippi. But I'm guessing they're super fast. Maybe that plays to his benefit. I don't know. How, I wonder what his splits are between lightning and let's see how he does in terms of like overall he is in strokes game putting 34th over the past 50 rounds let's shrink that size down to 24 and see what it looks like for a moment see if anyone pops up we'll run the model here in a second to see if there's any back end names and this is the time of year to kind of take your take your lumps with the the bottom end guys it worked out with benny ann coming off taylor montgomery was another one just he wasn't priced up high enough for the success that he had had on the Corn Ferry Tour, being essentially the best player down there. What's going on? They're probably updating the system as we're going through. Of course they are. So past 24 rounds in general, you got Sahith. Sahith is 28th in putting over the past 24. But if we shrink that down to past 24 rounds on lightning fast greens, we go fast and lightning because you never know exactly how the speed is going to play on some of these things. And we'll take another look at Sahith. Sahith ends up becoming, okay, so he puts better on these surfaces than he does on slower surfaces. So that's really good to know. You can see Sam Burns is also very much up there in putting, although that did not translate a year ago, uh, but tends to putt better on the faster surfaces. So that's good information to have. Who is the best overall? And some of these things. Oh, Bez, like this could really be a good Bez course. I worry about the amount of strokes that he loses off the tee. But good experience at the President's Cup, albeit he didn't play a ton. You see Poston's up there in putting, McCarthy, Todd Father, Harris English. What's Harris English been up to? Justin Lower, uh, who had the nice run. I mean, he could have won in Napa. Didn't end up winning in Napa. Ended up coming in fourth, but had a very good week all around. Tends to be a very good putter by and large anyway. Maybe he is worth going back to this week as a look, depending on what his DraftKings price is going to be. See Harris English at the Fortinet. Um, can't hit an approach to say, I don't know what happened to Harris English. He's basically Denny McCarthy with slightly better driving. But when you take a look at the odds and you see Denny is at the top of the list at 18 and Harris English is, where are you at Harris English? 
Harris English is at 50 to one. Like that just seems like a no brainer. If you wanted to, if you wanted to bet McCarthy, seeing the way that Harris English is currently playing, it's basically Denny McCarthy's game and you're getting two and a half times more the odds on Harris English, who's a proven PGA tour winner, although he is still battling back from injury. Then we saw he did, he did just come top 10 at a tournament. So not bad. Uh, ooh, it's good to see that Taylor Montgomery puts well on these fast surfaces. Only in seven rounds. Keegan Bradley, another one who puts better on faster surfaces too. So some interesting names to look at if you want to jump back on Team No Putt. We'll see what I have for the custom stat model for the Sanderson Farms, the big cock trophy. Always a fun one to go through and see. Do I have a Sanderson Farms model? I do have a Sanderson Farms model. What does it look like? Par 4s, 400 to 450 yards at 10%. Approach 25. Putting, 10%. you got to wait it here. It means a lot. Not necessarily it's the most predictive thing, but it is good to see. I'm actually going to take that out and replace it here in a second. Strokes gained off the tee, 20%. Par 5s, 10%. Proximity. I'm going to lose these proximity ranges. Uh, I've overweighted because I have opportunities gained. I think that's going to be good enough along with the par 4 range and approach. What I want to put back in, so we have... I have 10. I need more than this here. Let's see here. So par 5 is 10%, par 4 is overall, along with the key par 4 area at 5%. Opportunities gaining another approach stat, a scoring stat at 10%. So what I'm going to do with putting is what we learned throughout the course of the year to try to continue to apply this. We're going to go putting 5 to 10 feet and then putting 10 to 15 feet, where you're going to make the majority of your birdies. We'll weight them both at 10%. Actually, you know what? We'll go 7%. 7% to combined 14. That gives us an extra 6 to 6% to play around with. We'll check that onto par fours overall, make that 11% and run the model and see what happens. Back in the day before, it's funny, the last few years at coming out of COVID, the swing season ended up getting better fields and better players at them. And But the years before, previous to that, the Fantasy National Simulator was hot fire when it came to trying to pick winners in these sort of scrubby events. I always think that it's better in the scrub events. Uh, it didn't, wasn't great on Max Homa. That's not good. But uh, in years past, like, where do, we, where do we have that great run through the swing season? I think it was like Munoz. Where are we at? 2021. Jesus. I mean, we might even go back that far. Rocket Mortgage. Was it 2020? No, that was the COVID year. So before that, it ended up nailing Austin Cook, Sebastian Munoz. It was like, I think it hit like four winners in seven events. And it was all in these absolute just jabroni fields to look at. So that is worth noting going forward that that simulation usually comes out on Tuesday evenings that if you want to check back, I mean, it's not a fail safe by any means, but it might give you some good value on some of the players that maybe you're thinking about down the list. I'm going to use it as a part of my process as it turns into making my final bets for the week. So past 24 rounds, the numbers like Grio, Johnny, uh, ooh, I like that. Trey Mullenix, Brendan Steele, Taylor Moore, Lee Hodges, Hayden Buckley, Kevin Streelman, Mark Hubba Hubbard, Scott Stallings, Russell Henley, Martin Laird, Svensson, Glee Glick, Tower Duncan. Now, what you're going to see is some of these numbers go back like halfway through the summer. It's a very difficult time of year in order to try to parse what these numbers mean. So it might be worth it to go take a look at what happened in Napa and try to project something off of that. I know it happened two weeks ago, but it is the only thing that we have. You can go back and look at Corn Ferry stats too, if you really want to. Those are all loaded into Fantasy National at the moment. So you see Brennan Steele, not, not big shocker, couldn't chip, couldn't putt. Ball striking was fine for Brennan Steele, who ended up missing the cut. So we'll take a look at strokes gain, and just maybe there's some sort of outliers here that we missed. 
on the way through. Like, Jesus, Jimmy Walker led the field in approach and came 25th. Okay. Didn't expect to see that. James Hahn was up there. Uh, my voice is not ready for the Hahn this early in the morning. Bo Hostler actually hit his approaches quite well. We know he can putt. Can't drive for crap, but here we are. Harrison Endicott. Brent, oh, Todd Father. Okay. We might, be, we might be talking about something right now. How has Todd Father been? Minus 6.8 at FedEx St. Jude. That's strange for him. Uh, for a guy who's supposed to hit all of the fairways. The putting has been excellent. How has he done at Sanderson Farms? in his career not good not great bob been bad at the sanderson farms i don't know if that's something that we should put a lot of stock into but this does seem like a course that would be a little bit better for him i'd want him gaining more strokes off the tee though woodland's a really interesting case i don't remember the when was the last time he lost three strokes off the tee he just seems to be at a different point of his career now but yeah, that's a really outlier performance from him off the tee, even through his struggles. The approach numbers are really good. The chipping and putting was bad. I don't know if he's ever played Sanderson Farms. He did once last year, missed the cut, but gained in ball striking. So that's always positive news to see. Okay, who else? Chris Stroud, probably take a pass on that. Hostler, Merritt. I don't know if Merritt's in the field. Is Merritt in the field? Merritt? No, no Troy Merritt this week. To throw us off course. Uh, if we just do, I mean, we could just sort by past four rounds too and see what that ends up coming out to in terms of the model. Just take the last tournament and throw caution to the wind and just try to see based on the metrics that we have who may have been an outlier performance from what we saw. Now, it's not going to be the last four rounds for everyone from last tournament. Some guys didn't play in that tournament. So obviously that might not be the best. Uh, so we'll see here. Strokes gained approach. Ben Griffin was up there. I feel like that's from the Wyndham think that's from the Wyndham championship no he missed the cut at the Fortnite, so it's two rounds at the Wyndham when he came forth so be careful when you're like parsing through these stats so small of a sample this early in the year but I do like to look at this stuff to see if we can kind of catch someone on a heater who was great from this key par four range Ben Griffin's been good from that range Taylor Montgomery probably gonna end up betting Montgomery again because he just he might be the best guy that's come from the Corn Ferry Tour 35 to 1 like Bez Montgomery is where I'm leaning I think Bez is difficult. Uh, just, I think he's a superior player, and he needs to hit fairways. That ends up becoming the problem with him. And my big man, Vince, do. feel like his, his approach is good over the past four rounds, but he had a real struggle bus on approach uh, for some of the Fortinet, but his driving is so good. And if he can find the putter, I don't know how well he putts because I don't have a lot of data on him. Sky would be a good guy to ask about this. But if he actually is someone who can putt reasonably well, like he kind of fits that Cam Champ mold that if he runs a hot putter, he's going to gain so many strokes off the tee that you're looking all right here. So, I mean, he is the last guy to have a par four or a par four hole in one uh, between the DP World Tour and on the PGA Tour. So that's always nice to see. Where's big Vince Norman, the big Swede? He's 200 to one. All right. So Vince Norman, he's getting my money at 200 to one this week take a look at him ended up playing pretty well michael kim number one in all of this stuff which is kind of hilarious to see if i type in actually no, i don't want to look at the corn fairy stuff as of yet you guys can go to fantasynational.com slash mayo and screw around with that yourself so over the past four rounds like it shouldn't be that big of a difference did johnny hunt play in the fortinet or is that just from Wyndham? he missed the cut at the fortinet and it's two rounds from the Wyndham when he was great i don't know if he can make enough putts he's been bad with the putter as of lately Try to find these middle guys. Yeah, man, Montgomery. Do we go back to Mullinex? I know he missed the cut. I bet him at the Fortinet, and he did not have a good week. The approach was really good, though. 
It's funny to see him not drive the ball really well, but I can probably get back on Mullinix. What did say his Mullinix's odds were? Was he near the top of the board? He may have been. I don't think I want to go on to like a super chalky. Oh, 50 to 1's not bad, actually. And maybe we can find a better number out there somewhere. So we got Bez, 28. Montgomery, 35. I'm going to search around for better numbers on all this stuff, obviously. Mullinix at 50. Norman at 200 to 1. Davis Riley just intrigues me to no end because, I mean, Sam Burns has won here. Um, maybe he can find something. I mean, he got into that duel with Sam Burns at the Valspar earlier this season. I mean, he lost. I mean, the putter is so weird with him. Like, he'll gain 9.4 and lose eight. At least he's someone who can have spike putting performances. I generally like him at, like, shorter, more, I don't know. I mean, the driving had been great until the last two times out. Maybe he just takes a, hmm. Davis Riley, huh? Opportunities gained. He's fourth. So it's nice to see that he's still actually hitting his approaches pretty well. All right. He's going on the short list. Again, I'm going to have all of this in the newsletter. You can subscribe to that down in the e in the description of the podcast and show. But just interesting to see what all of this stuff is going to really filter out. I'm going to get some Euro plays on the go, too. I'm pretty sure. Uh, let's just see. Opportunities gained over the past four. Mullinex Hadwin. When was the last time Hadwin played? Hadwin last played at the BMW. Okay. BMW and FedEx St. Jude. He hasn't been good since the U.S. Open, but an interesting look here. Probably won't get to him. The Smother Man. Feel like he played. He made the cut. That I know because I played him at the Fortin. I don't know how much he ended up doing. All right. Bad chipping. Good putting. First time he putted well in ages. How was he played at Sanderson? At the San Antonio Championship, he played well. Don't really care about that. So he's a first-timer at the course this season. Not too concerned about anything like that. What about the glove? The glove comes in 96th in the rankings, but par fours and opportunities gained. He's super high on this list. Uh, it's because he lost 5.3 strokes around the green at the Fortinet, but gained everywhere else. Third at St. Jude. So maybe he's trying to find something a little bit. We know the approaches can be really good. The ball striking can be good. He can flip the putter from time to time. We've seen, we've seen him win. We saw him win a U.S. Open, albeit it was like 14 years ago at this point. But hopefully the putting hasn't left him completely dry yet. Who putted well from 10 to 15 feet? That last tournament, uh, Hughes, Lower, Huh, Grio actually. Grio actually kind of rates out really well for historically what you think of him at this course i mean the approaches have been bad the past three times out but the putter is like i don't want to say he solved his putter by any stretch of the imagination but he's gaining still hitting all the fairways not a long hitter makes the cut here every year the approach has been really great here the putter has been lacking so griot is going to go shortlist for me this seems like a type of tournament he could win uh based on its setup but i do want to search off the tee how in god's name did michael kim Good Lord, Michael Kim. Kramer Hickok, Montgomery's definitely going to be up there. <sighs> Rogers, Will Gordon. Hmm, how did Will Gordon do in the first tournament of the year? He won one of the Corn Ferry events. So that ended up going pretty well for him, I'd say, to get him back in. Actually, the ball striking was great. Okay. Historically, how is he as a putter? Bad. But maybe we can catch him doing something well here. He's played this twice, made the cut once, 2020 gain strokes putting. So Will Gordon, no idea how the market is valuing Will Gordon right now. Will Gordon, 130 to 1. Probably a better back-end DraftKings player, a top 20, something like that. But I don't hate that. Carl Juan being at 130 to 1 seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? For a guy who's like the, the man. At least I think he was. I think he was the man. Oh, we're not getting any Carl Juan stats in here. 
All right, that's why he's not popping out. I have to get Moose on that one, try to figure out what's up. But that's an interesting look, I think. Zedeng Du. How's he doing here? I mean, he had a really good year on the Corn Ferry Tour. Gained a bunch off the tee. I, I don't know. The thing is, I don't know enough about these guys to know if that's like indicative of something that he can continue to do. Although he's gained when he's played on the PGA Tour. I mean, he had a bad stretch here, um, 2018 when he played. But it, St. Jude he gained, Valero he gained, Wyndham he gained. Doesn't seem like dude can putt or hit approaches whatsoever, but maybe that's the old him. Now he can chip. Maybe he can hit approaches now too after the success that he had on the Corn Ferry Tour. Knowles, Wu, Brandon Wu, Keegan, Nick Taylor, Luke List. Poor Luke List. I really needed him to come through for me to make the cut at the Fortnite, and he left a chip up and down in front of him. This is always a bad sign for Luke List. Yes, the putter is always going to be horrendous. We know that. But once he starts losing strokes around the green, when he hit his good stretch, how did we know it was coming? Because he started gaining strokes around the green every single tournament. It's almost like what Ben Ann is currently doing and what Ben Ann used to be. You live with the terrible putting, mainly because you know that if the chipping is going to be there, then you're not going to three-putt from 25 feet. You're just going to have a bunch of three-foot par putts and maybe you can get by a week during that. Nice to see the approach was still good. Obviously, the driving is almost always going to be good. He'll have his outlier bad performances here or there. What are Ben? What is Lucas odds? He was beyond. He's 130 to one. So is MJ Duffy. I like MJ Duffy too. So maybe we can go down there on him. Where is our guy? Bjorn Han and 80 to one. Don't hate it. Don't hate it at all. We have to get back on the old Benny Boy train. Now that I've lost some of my favorites to the Live Tour that I bet absolutely every single week, maybe Ben Ann is the one that I need to start looking at when it comes down to the picks. What I want to know is from you guys, what you want to see out of me covering golf during the swing season. Obviously, you know I don't have a ton of time to dedicate to full-time golf like I do during non-football season. Football during football season is going to be king. Golf during golf season is going to be king. So if you have ideas for the show of what you would potentially want to see, I want to record it on Monday before I get too busy on Tuesday, and I would really like to continue to do that. But uh, I, I like the research aspect of this. I hope you found this helpful. I'm trying to talk through my plays, set my base for research. It's really helping me out, too, because I hadn't looked at this until we come on. That's a part of the show. You get to learn along with Pat, learn about the tournament, learn what the odds are, and then maybe utilize some of that information that when you listen to Fantasy Golf Degenerates later on Monday night or Tuesday morning, you listen to the DP World tour uh picks and bet show with tom and kim thirsty lawrence that's the bet as of right now hatton wins this like every year so you should probably look at that too um that you can utilize some of this information and apply it to them and come to the conclusion with your own picks and then you just have the sub to fantasynational.com slash mayo and you're good to go anyway that will do it for me smash the like on the way out sub to the channel listen to all the football shows they've been a lot of fun so far this year all right i'm pat mayo i'll see you next time. experience experience